So uh, I wanted to quickly talk about Dr. Four's uh, amazing research, because Dr. Four has done some incredible uh, research in chiropractic, um, and I think it's, uh, it deserves uh, a mention, um, and for you to understand as we're talking about Activator here in our classroom. So um, he was at Life University in 2016, so uh, I'm gonna kind of show you some of the things that he was talking about, which I think are quite fascinating. So um, in the European uh, Spine Journal in 2006, Punjabi, we're all very familiar with uh, Dr. Punjabi with uh, you know, all the books that he's written and stuff. He talked about a, a hypothesis of chronic back pain, ligament subfailure injuries lead to muscle control dysfunction, uh, which is a big mouthful. But the thing I really liked about it is what Dr. Four was, was showing us uh, regarding, um, regarding uh, how, what he feels is chiro how chiropractic works. So if you have intact mechanoreceptors, then we have normal transducer signals, which create a normal neuromuscular control unit, which creates a normal response. You'll see normal muscle pattern, normal coordination of muscle activation, and there's no adverse effects, right? And this is like a feedback, feed-forward kind of a, a loop over here. But what happens when there's injured mechanoreceptors? We have a subluxation, essentially, which is what injured mechanoreceptors um, you know, will be caused by. That is gonna corrupt the transducer signals, which will corrupt the response from the neuromuscular control unit, which will corrupt the muscle pattern. And then, this is what I love about this, and even though <coughs> Dr. Ford didn't exactly say this, I think this is exactly what he was talking about. So this incoordination of muscle activation causes higher facet loads, muscle fatigue, higher stress and strains, uh, you know, these different, God bless you, these different adverse uh, consequences, which causes tissue inflammation. But what Dr. Punjabi puts here is chronic back pain. What else can we put after this instead of chronic back pain? What, what more chiropractic word can we put up there? Subluxation, right? That's what Dr. Ford was saying. It's like, let's just cross this out here and put the word subluxation up here because that's what all this causes, right? So this is, so here's someone who's like one of the premier, you know, medical doctor researchers in the world. And he's actually given us exactly what happens in a subluxation complex, is it starts with injured mechanoreceptors and then goes up like this, and the adverse consequences are tissue inflammation, and that inflammation is actually going to cause subluxation, right? Here they're talking about back pain, but I think it's more important just to say, well, what happens if it, that inflammation isn't in the lower back or the neck, right? What happens if inflammation is affecting something else? I think that's a, it's a brilliant um, uh, thought process. And what Dr. Punjabi said is the injured spine behaves differently. And let's talk about injury, right? So there's, there's two kinds of injury, right? There's injury, well, actually there's three kinds. There's the three T's, right? So we have trauma, which is your typical injury, that injury we could think of where there's a physical trauma. But what about the other two T's, right? Can there be a, a, a mental or a toxic trauma? Absolutely, someone who's eating things that don't agree with that person or has been exposed to certain chemicals or substances that don't agree with that person. Can that person have a, a chemical or toxic trauma that creates this feedback mechanism that goes up to subluxation? I think so. And what about a, an emotional thought, like thoughts, right, the three Ts? What about a thoughts or psychological or emotional trauma? Can that create subluxation? Absolutely, because we know that um, emotional trauma can create tissue inflammation, so that can also do this. So all three of these things, so when he's talking about an injured spine behaves differently, he's not just talking about injury as we perceive it in terms of a physical injury, a, a car accident or a fall or a sports injury. We're talking about any sort of injury to the spine. 
And then in doctor, uh, 2017, Dr. Four spoke here at Life University again. Um, and this is a really cool, um, I took some pictures uh, as he was talking. This is a really cool, uh, from a paper that he was uh, doing, showing the isolation test. So some people, they say when you, they, you know, uh, activator performs all these odd isolation tests that what is it really doing? And they actually measured it. They somehow put some sort of transducers on people's feet uh, and had them do a certain isolation test. This is the C5 isolation test. <clears throat> and you can see the one foot changes differently than the other foot, showing that there's a difference, a neurological difference uh, in this dysfunction because of that C5 subluxation. So that both feet are not tracking the same as the person's head is lifted up. Because, and, and they've showed in other situations where there was no subluxation in C5, they lifted the head up and the two uh, uh, lines would track the same. So to me, showing how the isolation tests are actually quite valid. <clears throat> Then this is one of my favorite papers that he showed in that particular talk, uh, which is <coughs> effects of, of manually assisted mechanical force on cutaneous temperature. So what this means is when you have, uh, you're, we all know the, the surface EMGs that we use, the substations, the titrons, and all those kind of things, which are, are fabulous tools. These guys are using like, you know, turbocharged versions of this. They're not using a substation or a titron. They're using like the super duper scientific you know, ones. And this is super cool because what this shows is what really happens during an adjustment. So if you actually, you're forgetting about these right now, just look at this chart right over here. Here is, it says minus fives. So this is the moment before an adjustment and right here is where an adjustment occurs. What happens is that as the adjustment occurs, this is the adjustment um, line you wanna look at. As the adjustment occurs, the temperature actually drops temporarily in that area at the moment of an adjustment. They were using an activator, but you could be, this could be with any sort of adjustment. And then as time goes on, they, they measure up to 10 minutes, there's still a change happening in the tissue. So here, there's no change in the sham and the control. There's no change really going on at all. But here, there's a significant change after the adjustment, and then it starts to creep back up like this. And this is only 10 minutes. So what this is showing, and probably one of the most important things that he said and I've talked to patients about this countless times since, is that when you are adjusting someone, sometimes they say something like, is that it, right? Are you done? Is there anything else? And your answer should be, the adjustment is just starting, right? The adjustment is just starting. So just because my hands are no or my instrument is no longer touching your spine, now the adjustment's starting. Right, because here's the the adjustment occurred, and now there's work being done, and who knows? They never they only measure ten minutes. They're they're redoing this, and they're going to measure longer. Who knows what continues to happen in that particular area, just cutaneously, after the adjustment? So when someone says that's it, because I had someone say to me, I say, is that that it? Yeah, that's it, because uh, like the adjustment starts when you leave the office, right? That's what they need to know. Adjustment isn't only because otherwise, especially if, if you see you know if you're not taking like an hour for adjustment like you usually do now, right? You're taking two, three, five minutes per adjustment as a typical adjustment. If you're doing a, a more traditional uh, adjustment outside in the real world and not in the clinic, then you have to understand that, that how, they need to understand that adjustment is not just something that's happening in the moment and then you're done. And they're saying, that, wait, that was just two seconds. That's all you're gonna do? Yeah, that's all you need to do, right? Just like turning on a light switch. Right? If I want to turn on a light switch, how long does it take me to turn on a light switch? Right? Boom, I'm done. I turned it on. Right? So I don't need to talk to it nicely and 
rub it a little bit and put some, you know, biofreeze on the light switch and stuff. I just just turn the light switch on and now, it's, now light's on, right? And that's what we need to explain to our, our patients is that the adjustment just starts when my hands leave your spine. So when you're walking out of the office, that adjustment's continuing for who knows how long. <clears throat> um, this is another cool uh, paper that he was talking about, uh, that the, the brain has an amazing response to activator. And obviously, uh, you could probably extrapolate this to any other you know, kind of technique too. But you can see different areas of the brain in a functional MRI are lit up <clears throat> right after an adjustment. So something is happening. And what they, the, the slide before this showed the brain before the adjustment was, did not have any of these like, you know, highlights going on. So that something's obviously working and it's not just working at the subcutaneous you know, level like I just showed you, it's working in the brain also. So there's something's really happening in the adjustment. And that's what I really enjoy about Activator is they're doing some heavy duty research. You know, Activator and CBP are the two most researched um, uh, techniques out there. And I, I like hanging my hat on something when there's a lot of research. Here's another paper by Marshan that talks about uh, safety implications for children, um, which I thought was you know, quite interesting. And um, what they were kind of talking about is, is um, here's an, another paper related to this, um, called Tensile Failure Properties of the Perinatal, Neonatal, and Pediatric Cadaveric Cervical Spine. So what they were doing is they were uh, adjusting, they were looking at cadavers, uh, cervical spine cadavers, and they were looking at the forces that needed to uh, be used in order for something to actually move in the cadaver's spine. And what they found is um, that there was pronounced ligament laxity observed in the younger ages between the occiput and C2, uh, prevalence showing that there was spinal cord injury without radiographic abnormality. So in other words, what, what this was showing in, in, in their research is that children were subluxated and you couldn't see it on an x-ray, right? Because if you ever looked at a kid's x-rays, especially a little kid's x-rays, it's just like a whole lot of pieces, right? It's very hard to discern anything on a little kid's x-rays. Um, although uh, we, I, will, I don't usually take kids' x-rays, but I do, will mandate them on kids with like, some significant challenges. You know, uh, we had a kid recently come in with a hydrocephalus. I said, I am not touching you until you get your, you know, cervical spine uh, checked. And I'm not taking those films. We're going to get have Choa, you know, Children's Hospital Atlanta. You take those films, right? So you see a, a kid with all kinds of <coughs> odd issues, you know, uh, you know, significant issues. Let those kids need x-rays. Uh, otherwise, I usually take x-rays on kids. <clears throat> but what this is showing is that there's a large number of children that have radiographic abnormalities that don't have radiographic abnormalities but do have injury in their upper cervical spine. <clears throat> what this means, what they found is that like manual thrust manipulation, um, which is a, your typical hand or osseous adjusting, um, may include a lot of different movements to the spine and that cr that's because they're using tensile strength, and, which is the strength of how something is able to be held together versus Mechanically assisted adjustments, which is a, um, an activator or a torque release instrument, is using an impact force. And in that particular uh, instance, the tensile strengths don't matter. So what that means is, like when someone says, how does something that light do anything? Right? I don't understand how using an activator or a torque release instrument, how does it do anything right? compared to like being cracked? Right? And it's because we're, we're dealing with two different forces. Right? If you're doing a more manual adjustment, you're using tensile strength and you have to go past tensile strength to make that adjustment. But when you're using an instrument and the person is, you know, is passive instead of 
kind of being moved around in a different position, then you're not using the tensile strength anymore. You're using an impact force, which is uh, you need a lot less force to make the same, uh, produce the same kind of result, which I thought was really cool. <coughs> and then one of the last things that Dr. Ford talked about uh, was this great paper, Spinal Manipulation Reduces Pain and Hyperalgesia After Lumbar in Intervertebral Foramen Inflammation in the Rat. <coughs> So if you look at this, now God knows what they did to the poor rat. I don't even want to think about what they, how they make this happen in the rat. But what they did is they actually subluxated a rat mechanically. So first thing they did is they took some uh, uh, pictures of the IVF, both from a macro and a microscopic view. And here in the, mac in the macro view, you can see it looks kind of nice and white and, and you know, normal looking. And here all the cells have normal cell walls and everything looks kind of like a normal cellular structure. But then, like I said, somehow or other, don't ask me how because I don't even know um, or want to know, uh, they somehow subluxated that rat and left it sit there for a bit and then they remeasured, um, took some photographs and they, they measured the photograph here uh, of the IVF on a macro view and you can see it doesn't look the same, right? It's got some, it looks like there's some you know, different color changes and different lines and different dots of things. And you look at the microscopic view, and you can see cell walls have broken and nucleus, you know, like it's sort of this lysis going on and stuff. Um, and then somehow or other, once again, I don't know how, they adjusted the, the rat with an activator somehow. Um, and now, and then waited a little bit and then took another picture of the same IVF. And now look at the IVF, almost looks the same in a macro view. And the microscopic view looks like it's getting better, right? It's not as good as this, but it's not as bad as this. It's kind of somewhere in between. So <clears throat> what this is showing, the activated research is showing that the adjustments actually physically are doing something, right? So we can see it's changing the cutaneous temperature. We can see it is <coughs> um, changing the, the IVF structure, both microscopically and macroscopically. We can see that the brain is being affected during these adjustments. And this is just using, this is just using activator you know, a technique, an instrument-adjusted technique. Um, imagine the power of what we're doing, right? Um, I think this is so huge. This is the kind of research that we really need to see more of. Um, where, because I, I know a lot of us are uh, been talking a lot about research lately to prove pediatric chiropractic, uh, you know, care. And I think obviously there needs to be a lot more research done to to help show the efficacy of chiropractic care with kids. Um, but this is the kind of research that we need to really be focusing on is what's really happening <clears throat> in there. And I think some of these things show us a great, um, as a, show, shows us a lot of great work. <clears throat>